this week's parsha is Parsha's Nayach. And the parsha begins, Nayach ish tzaddik, tamim haya b'dayrei sav. That Nayach was a tzaddik, he was tamim, he was whole, he was perfect, b'dayrei sav, in his generations, in the plural. And a lot of the Rishayim ask, the Medayik, the Lachairit should have said Bidairai. Diktuk would dictate that Bidairai would have been a better Lashon to use in his generation. Why does it say in his generations? So the Sepharna and others say that, you know, Nayach lived a long life, and Nayach saw more than one generation. He was, in, he was alive at the time of Mr. Shalach, he was in the time of Lemech alive. So he saw, he saw a few diaries. But that is not really a great tarot, says the tarot Tamima and others, because if that's the case, then we really all could be defined as people that live B'dayreisav. We all live, if we live long enough, we're able to see our parents' generation, we see our children in Mitzvah Shem's generation, we see our great-grandparents, grandparents, we see other generations, but yet we're not described, when people describe us, they say, in his generation. You don't describe multiple generations. Why is Nayach different? Why is Nayach unique in that L'chair, it's the only time that we find somebody as having lived B'dayrei Sav in his generations in more than one time? And I think the answer is very simple. The answer is that Nayach was unique because Nayach lived in two different worlds. Nayach was a person who lived in the world before the Mabel. He was able to see the original Bria of the Rabbi Shalom. The Bria before the Mabel was a different Bria. Chazal tell us their Midrashim. Everything was different. Everything was much more beautiful, much more grand. The fruits were bigger. And everything, as beautiful a world as we live in, we can't compare that world to the world that we have today. The world before the Mabal was the Mamish, the Maisa Yadav of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Everything was the Yitzir Kapov. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Mamish, formed and fashioned everything in the perfect way. And after the Mabal, HaKadosh Baruch of course, was also the Bayrei Umanig, but in terms of the, the Teva was diminished very, very dramatically. And so Nayach was a person that was alive to see the world before the Mabal, and then Nayach was the span, was the bridge in the new world, the world post-Mabal. And so that's why I believe by him he was Tamim Haya Sav. He was unique. He had two generations, but two worlds. Not just Tam that he saw two generations. We all do. But he was a person that lived and experienced and witnessed a world before a Mabal, a world after a Mabal, a world before a Chorban in its perfection, and a world after a Chorban in its destruction. And that's why Nayach was unique. In fact, there's a Medrash that says exactly this. The Medrash at the beginning of the parsha, the Medrash Rabbah, he's darshning on this Pasuk, the Medrash, Tamim Haya B'day Haya, that Lashon of Haya, 
according to the Medrash, tells us that Haya is a lashon of a newness. Haya is a new experience. And so when it says Haya B'dayraisav, that means that Nayak was a person that saw an Eilam Chadosh. He was a person, the Medrash goes on to say, who saw a world, Abanim, the Pasuk says in Eiv, Abanim Shachaku Mayim, Mayim destroyed the stones, Mayim completely eroded every fabric of existence that took place before the Mabel. And L'chaira, Nayach was doomed. He shouldn't have been able to live through that. But yet HaKadosh Baruch Hu allowed him to build a Teva and saved him, sheltered him from that. And he was able to come out of the Teva, see a new world, and experience a new world, an Olam Chadosh, Haya B'dayraisav. He was new, he experienced something brand new. And that is indicative of what the tachlis and what the experience, what the life, what, what was unique about Nayak was that he was Haya B'dayraisav. He, he lived in two different worlds. He lived in the world before the Mabel. He saw that grand world. He saw the Churban. And then he lived in a new world after the Mabel. We find a similar thing in the Bria in the history of the world, several times, that we see a world that was completely different from one day to the next, that the entire world changes in a very, very drastic way. We find it many times, and that Chazal, that Medrash, if you look it up, says that there's a few places that we find where it says, Hayo, that people were about to be destroyed, and then they were able, they, they got a reprieve, and they lived to tell the tale and to renew the world. But one thing in particular that I'm thinking of, and then we'll say one final thing, is the Churban Beis HaMikdash. The Churban Beis HaMikdash, when the Beis HaMikdash was Bibinyana, the Bayis Rishon, it was a world that wasn't just a world as we know it. And then there was a world, uh, there was a place in Yerushalayim, a holy temple, that they did some Aveda, but the world was basically the same world as we have today. The world with the Beis HaMikdash was a world that was completely different. There was, imagine that there would be a destination in the world that a person can go and mamish be to experiencing Hashras Hashchina. That the Shechina was mamish shaira in the bias in the Beis HaMikdash, and there was Karbanais, there was the Levi in Beduchanam, there was Yisrael in Ma'amadam. There was, it was not just Tamil world, it was a different world. It was a world that there was a Shechina in the world. That the Shechina was Mamish Shaira in the world and people could be Ayla Regel, people can go and bring Karbanais, again, a, spe- a, a special beautiful Kirva to the Rabbeinu Shalom in the world of the Beis HaMikdash. And then all of a sudden, the 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 Beis Hamikdash was destroyed. They set fire. Aru Aru They mamish completely devastated the Makma Mikdash. They turned it over. Aru Aru. They went to the Yisraelites, the enemies, and they destroyed it. They upheaved. They created a, a, a flat mountain. They completely flattened the mountain, the Makma Mikdash. They poured salt on the mountains so that nothing should ever grow there. Nothing should ever be rebuilt there. It was a world of tremendous churban. And all from one day to the next, 
a world of beauty, a world of Kedusha, a world of Tyra, a world of Hashras Hashchina one day, and then the next day to be able to see a completely, a world that was completely destroyed and desolate. So much so that a mere 70 years later, 70 years, they, we, we had the period of Churban by Yisrishan, and then 70 years later, we were Zeichet to have, Ezra came up, and they rebuilt the Bayasheni. But there's a beautiful and a sad Pasuk in Ezra describing that event. The Pasuk says in Ezra that the Vayanu Bahalu Bahaydis, when they rebuilt the Bayasheni, they responded with tremendous halal, with Haidah, and then it says, And There were young people that were around. Most of the people that were by the Bayasheni, by the Chanukah Habayasheni, they were singing, they were dancing, Trua, it was a tremendous simcha. We were Zaychet to build once again a brand new Beis HaMikdash, a beautiful Beis HaMikdash. But it says that the Zakanim, the Kaihanim and the Leviim, there were many of them that were alive. It was just 70 years. So there were people that were older, 90-year-olds, 100-year-old people, that they remembered doing the Avedah and the Bayis Rishin. They remember singing the Shira and the Bayis Rishin. They remember bringing Karbanis in the Bayis Rishon. At the Bayasheni, they were crying. Why were they crying? It's a wonderful experience. What's so sad about it? The Territ says that they were alive during the Bayis Rishon. The difference between the Bayis Rishon and the Bayasheni, there are a few differences. But one of the major difference between the Bayis Rishon and the Bayasheni was that the Bayis Rishon had the Shechina being Shaira and the Bayasheni did not. The Bayis Rishon had HaKadosh Baruch Hu Shechina with Shaira permeated the Mikdash and the Bayis Sheni, we had we had Karbanis, we had Levim, we had a lot of the, we had the Aveda, but we didn't have, the Shechina was not Shaira, the Shechina was absent during the Bayis Sheni. And so they were able to sense that absence. And therefore the, the, the young children, they thought it was, way, it was wonderful to have a, a Bayis Sheni. But the older people, they remembered the world before the Churban Bayis Rishon. And they knew that it was a completely different world, that the Bayis Rishon was a different league, was a different ball game. So they were crying because they perceived that dramatic decline, that steep decline, that, 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 that vacuum of the Ashras HaShchina that existed by the Bayis Rishon and was never to exist again. So they were crying. For them was a Churban. They lived through the Churban and they saw Baiter the Churban, even Bishas, the binion of the Bayasheni. It was such a dramatic difference that only they could perceive it. These were people that were also B'dayreisov. These were people that lived through a world of Hashras HaShchina, Kedusha, Tyre, the Bayis Rishon. And then they saw the Churban and they saw... The, the, the collapse and the meltdown of what the world was to what it is now. And the same is true to fast forward to much more current history during the Tkufa of the Churban in Europe. The Churban in Europe we don't know what it looked like before we have pictures but we don't really, we'll never know 
what Europe looked like before, before the Holocaust. The way, I don't mean immediately before the Holocaust, but during the 100 years, 200 years prior, and the, and the years almost right before the Churban, how it was an amazing life that Yidin lived. It wasn't, it wasn't very luxurious in most places, but the Kedusha and the Tara, the Tefillah and the Taira, the Bnei Taira, the Bnei Yeshiva, what it looked like, the majesty of Europe before the war was such that a person, only if a person lived there would he be able to really understand it and, and describe it. If a person just looks at it through history books, we can't understand what it was. It was a world that wasn't like ours. As much as we have Tyra and we have Yeshivas and we have Beis Yaakovs and we have all good things, but it was a completely different world, the world of the Hasmada and the Kedusha, the Yerushamayim, the Mishpachas, the, the Bias. The way the world looked was a completely different world. It wasn't the world that we have today. It was a world of Kehillas Kedashos, people with minhagim. Each city had their own minhagim, had their own special minig, and they kept to it. For them, the minhagim were the most precious things in the world, and they would never veer kutzeh shal yod from anything that was that was the hanhaga and the shtat in the city. Today we live in America, and Baruch Hashem, not to put down America at all. It's an amazing place to live, we're zeichet to be here, but it's what they call, what Paiskim call, Minig America. In one shul you can have a hundred different people with a hundred different minhagim, and each are being nayeg their own way. One wears tefillin chalamayid, one doesn't wear tefillin chalamayid, one says halal, on, on, on Pesach night in Shul, and one doesn't. One says, uh, so everything has their own minig, every person has their own minig. And it's nicker, the differences are nicker. That wasn't the way it was in Europe. In Europe, they still had a Messiah, and they had, they had everything was basically as it should be. In most Kehillahs, in the, in the, by, by the Hasidim, by the, by the Litvish, by the, by, by, by the Hungarians, Every person had their place. They knew what they were. They knew what their avodah was. There wasn't the all of the all of the tivus and all of the distractions that we have today. It was a different world. And then all of a sudden, the world was destroyed. That world, the entire Europe became Judenrein. They became as Hitler wanted. He drove all the Yidden out of Europe. And the tragedy, besides, of course. The, the six million Kedoshim that were killed was that the world, that world, that Kedusha, that Minug, that's everything, the Shtetlach and the, and, and all of the things that were in it, the Davening, the Yerushamayim, that we, those, all those things were shattered as the Holocaust took place. That's what the, was suffered. That, that's the steep decline that, that Klai Yisrael saw, that Churban. And then they came to, a, to an Eilam Chadash. They were also able to see two different worlds, the people that survived the Chorban in Europe. There's a Maisa with Rav Gifter. Rav Gifter, of course, was the Rashiva and Tells in Cleveland. He was an American Bacher who learned in, in yeshivas in America. And after high school, some relative of his convinced him that it would be a good idea to go to Europe and learn in tells in Europe, which is a rare thing. I mean, how many people would, you know, today, it's very common that we go to Eretz Yisrael after high school. But in those days, you know, they didn't have 
it wasn't like set up like that. It was a, if you're born in America, you you know you you live and you die in America. There's no going back to Europe to the old world. But somebody convinced him to go back to Tells, leave all of the American trappings and go back, leave your home, go to Tells in Europe. And that's a good place for you to learn. So he did that. Rav Gifter went, and Rav Gifter was a brilliant person, and he became like one of the top Bachrim in Tells. And he basically, after, before the war, he was lucky enough to come back to America, and, and basically he, Eventually rebuilt the tells in Cleveland together with together with other Rosh Hashivas that happened to also have been fortunate enough to survive uh, the massacre that happened in tells where all the Rosh Hashivas that were there and the entire community and all the Bnei Taira that were there were all um, liquidated by the Nazis. So Rav Gifter, for sure, after he was he had been miyase the yeshiva in tells in Cleveland. He went to Eretz Yisrael, and he was miyaseh a kehillah, a yeshiva kehillah in Eretz Yisrael called Hellstone. And he was there for several years before he had to come back, before uh, the G'daylam Eretz Yisrael said that it was important for him to return to America because Cleveland needed him. So, but when he was in Eretz Yisrael, he, um, he was asked by a certain bacher when he... Right shortly after he arrived in Israel, did the Rashiva go visit yet Kevarachel and the Kaisel? So Rav Gifter says, yes, it happens to be that I happen to have been there both today. I went to both the Kaisel and Kevarachel today of all times. So the Bach says, oh great. So I want to ask you a question that I asked many people. Where were you more moved? When you daven by Kevarachel or when you daven by the Kaisa, what was more of a moving experience for you? Did you daven better? Did you shed more tears by the Kaisa or Kavarachal? So if Gifter thought for a few moments and he said, by the Kaisa. So the Bachar said to him, says, that's very interesting because most people that I ask, like 99% of the people that I ask this question to, they say that they're more Nisragish by Kavarachal. Kavarachal is a place that, you know, it's just, it's, whoever went to Kavarachal knows it's a very, very moving place to daven by. In the Kaisal you go, but it's more of, you know, it's, you don't feel it as much, for whatever reason, necessarily as you do by Kavarachal. That's what this Bacher told, whether you agree with that, you don't agree with that, but that's what this Bacher told Rav Gifter, and Rav Gifter thought about that for a moment, and he says, I'll tell you the reason why you feel that the Kaisal is more of a place to be moved than Kevarachal, and I feel that you feel Kevarachal is more, and I feel the Kaisal is more. He says, you're a young Bakr. He says, you remember your mother doting over you, taking care of you, making sure that you have food, making sure that you're warm, that you're properly dressed, and, you know, staying up with you when you're sick all hours of the night. You can identify with a mother, and so for you, Kevarachel is something that's very personal. You understand Mama Rachel crying for, for her children, Rachel Mavakal Bonera, and she's davening, and she's davening, she wants us to come back, and she's pleading with her Rabbeinishleim that we should come back and Mashiach should come. So for you, it's a very personal experience to be by Kevarachel. says, I'll tell you, by me, I'm an old man, but I'll tell you, I saw... Churban. I saw the Churban Beis Hamitish with my own eyes because I saw tells. 
I saw what Tal's yeshiva in, in Poland, in Lithuania was like. I saw the Malchus Tal's. Tal's was known as the royalty of yeshivas. It was the prince of yeshivas because the Rosh yeshivas were grand. The Rosh yeshivas were larger than life. The Talmidim were masmidim like none other. It was a tremendous yeshiva. It was a tremendous makam taira. It was the royalty of yeshivas. I saw that. I experienced that world. I knew the Rosh Hashivas, I knew the Talmidim, I felt it, I know what happened there. I felt the Kedusha, and suddenly I saw the Churban, that the Nazis were able to come and destroy that base on Mikdash and Tells. says, I am able to know what Churban is, I understand Churban. Much more than I remember my mother, I realize what Churban is. When I stand by the Kaisal and I daven, what I'm thinking of is I understand the Beis HaMikdash and I understand what the loss of the Churban Beis HaMikdash is. Because the Beis HaMikdash was the Kedusha of the Beis HaMikdash I experienced in Tells. And after that, when the Churban happened, as I stand by the Kaisal, I cry because I know what the Yidin must have looked like as they were being Ayla Regal. I know what the Karbanis looked like. I know what the Shira sounded like. In the, in the Beis HaMikdash because I lived through all of these things in the Beis HaMikdash called Tells and I know it's Chorban and I cried by the Kaisal realizing the Chorban Beis HaMikdash knowing that the Chorban Beis HaMikdash was really the template of all Chorbanes especially to me the Chorban which was Tells Rav Gifter spent his whole life trying to give over to the American generation what what uh, the Malchus of Tells looked like. I was Zeicha one year when I was in, when I was learning in Eretz Yisrael myself, so Rav Gifter was in Bayit Vagan, which was where my yeshiva was for the summer, for a few weeks. And my Rebbe, Baruch Hashem, told me that I should go and visit Rav Gifter and spend some time with him. So I went down the block, a few blocks away, and I, and I was Zeicha to spend about two hours, I think it was, with Rav Gifter, and to me and two other friends of mine, and he told us unbelievable stories about about tells the way it looked, the way the starim were, the way the the tire was there. One thing that always stands out in my mind, I think I've told this over many times. He said the way Musar Seder was, and I remember he was crying when he was describing Musar Seder and tells. Musar Seder and tells was, he said, by Shkia time. They would start Musar basically by Shkia. Everyone would, would sit and take their Musar Svarim, the Musar Sisharim, the Archa Sadiqim, whatever it was, and they would go over one line, two lines from the Musar Sisharim, let's say, and repeat it over and over and over again. And the sun was setting, and there was no electricity then. It was They would have lamps. And they didn't light the lamps until after Musar Seder was over. It got pitch black in the base Medrash, and they were screaming, screaming. It was completely uninhibited, people felt, because it was dark. Nobody knew who was screaming. And that was what Musa Seder looked like in Tells. It went from Shkia, when you were able to barely read the, the words of the Musa Sefer, till it got pitch dark, and you were able to chazer and scream what the Musa Sharm was saying. He says, that was Musa Seder in Tells. One thing that happened in the middle of the meeting, which was when we were talking, all of a sudden there was a knock on the door, and Rav Gifter runs to the door, opens the door, it was Rav Shach. Rav Shach was like, for me this is like, you know, <laughs> Rav Shach, they, he comes in, they were hugging, they were kissing, 
and they spent time where, like, we, we didn't know exactly where to, where to go. Like, you know, what, you, you know, where do you stand in such a room? So we're sort of, like, in the corner. They spent about, uh, you know, maybe 20 minutes together. Rav Shach left. And after Rav Shach left, Rav Giftet, you know, says to us, every time I come to Eretz Yisrael, I beg Rav Blazer, don't come to me. I'm going to come and visit you. I'm coming to Bnei to visit you. Don't come to visit me. And every time he insists to beat me to the punch, he comes and visits me first. But that was Rav Gifter. Rav Gifter was a person that saw both Eilamis, and he really understood the first Eilam, and he saw an Eilam Chadash. And that was the significance that he felt in his life. He was a bridge, he was a gesher between that old world and the new world. And Nayach, going back to Nayach, it says that as soon as Nayach left the table, he built a Mizbeach. He built a Mizbeach and he brought Karbanish to Hashem. Vayarech Hashem es Reach Anichayach. Hakarishvachu smelled the Reach Anichayach. He smelled this beautiful odor, this beautiful aroma. And he promised never ever to destroy the world again. Rebel Yashiv says on this Pasuk, he says that really Nayach would be forgiven, would be, it would be understandable if we were Nayach, what would we do? We'd get off a table, we're simply exhausted. The Chazal tell us how Nayach didn't have a moment's rest throughout the entire year that he was on the table. The night, the diet of certain animals are, are only fed during the day. Certain animals are only fed at night. And Nayak was mamish the whole year, was scurrying from one animal to another animal, feeding every single animal in its proper time. He didn't have, it's like Rosh, the Chazal tell us, he was, he was basically, he never was able to get any sleep, any rest. Here he had to get off the boat, and he had, he would be excused if he would take a nap if he would start preparing a shelter for himself, start getting food together for his family, start building something personal for himself, taking care of himself for a change, should open the door, let all the animals run wild, and he should be able to pamper himself a little bit. But instead, the Pasuk tells us that he went and he built a Mizbeach, a brand new Mizbeach, and he brought a carbon Lashem. And what that signified was that Nayach was fully prepared and ready to hit the ground running and to start building an Olam Chadash to build a brand new world because he knew that that was his tachlis, not just merely to mourn over the past world and to say, hey, when I was a kid, the world used to look like this and now that world is gone. Nayach understood that now my job is to roll up my sleeves and build a new world. A new world, building a brand new experience in life, building Tyra, building Kedusha, building a Mizbeach Lashem and bringing Karbanes, Lereach Nichayach. And Akadish so appreciated that about Nayach that he saw Vayarach Hashem and said, I'm never going to destroy the world again if there could be a Yid like Nayach, a person like Nayach that's able to be so, be so dedicated and devoted and so selfless to not even thinking about his own, his own health, but to go immediately and to build a brand new Mizbeach to me, which was symbolic of the new world that he was planning on building. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, for that, I will never ever destroy the world again. And the same is true, Rabbi say, when it came to the Chorban, to the most recent Chorban in Klai Yisrael's history, which is the Chorban in Europe. The Yidin came over, the survivors came over, Mamish they had nothing. 
They had nothing. They came over without a shirt on their back, quite literally. They did not have a dollar in their pockets. They didn't have anything. I saw recently a beautiful Misa, a beautiful Misa when the Blujava Rebbe, the Blujava Rebbe was a Tzadik Yisraelim who was a survivor. He lost his entire family in the war. He lived through, he was, his beard was, was completely like shaven off and he eventually built up a tremendous Hasidus in America. When he came off the boat in Ellis Island, so he was greeted by an Amer- a Jewish-American soldier that had liberated his camp, and he was looking out for him. So he greeted him when he arrived finally after a certain amount of time on these shores. So the American soldier greeted him at, at Ellis Island and proudly showed him, pointed out to him the Statue of Liberty. And whoever has visited the Statue of Liberty knows that on the bottom, on the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty, there is a, uh, a poem that was written by a Jewish girl by the name of Emma Lazarus. And, the, and what it says is a few words. It says, to read it, it says, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. That's, what, that's the words that, uh, that, that's said on, on the Statue of Liberty. That's by Emma Lazarus. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free. Meaning that that's the tachlis of America. The Statue of Liberty is welcoming everybody, all immigrants coming into this country. You're tired, you're poor, your huddled masses that only want you yearn to be free. Come to these shores and you'll be, this is the place that you'll find menucha. And he pointed it out proudly to the Blue Rebbe and said, look, this is what the country is. Baruch Hashem, you're here. This is, uh, look at what a welcoming Medina Shalchesed it is that we're, that, that the country is taking in anyone that, that, that wants to come, that needs a place of refuge. So Blue Rebbe cried and he says that it's Taka, a beautiful thing that she wrote, but it's not completely true about us. He says, we are tired, yes. We are poor, certainly but we are no longer masses. He says that we don't have anyone, there's no one left. The whole world is destroyed. There were six million Kedoshim that were amazing, Rashi Yeshivas, Rabbonim, Balabatim Chashuvim, people that were Meiser, their Nefesh, Al-Atayrav, al He says we're no longer masses, we're nothing anymore, we are remnants of masses. We are Echad Meir Ushnayim in Mishpach, as the Gemara says in Sanhedrin. We're one of a city, every city maybe has one survivor, and two out of every family maybe were Zeichah to tell the tale. But there are so few people, so few remnants left, that it's Kimat nothing. We don't have masses anymore. Klai Yisrael is not masses. We are few, few people left, few remnants, but nothing is left of Klai Yisrael really. And then look what Klai Yisrael were able to do. Look at what the Yechidim, look at what the Gedalim were able to do when they came to America. Instead of being, most people would be Miyayish, you come, you lose your entire family, you lose your entire community, you lose your Rashi Yeshivas, your Rabbanim, your children. Most people would say, I give up. Yish, let me just do my own thing. I'll find maybe a job if I can. I'll build a little house, I'll build, I'll try to find, get a piece of the American dream a little bit, and I'll live a life of Menucha and leave that whole world 
that was destroyed away, that, that was the old world, let's start a new world, and the new world will be free of all the things that, that didn't really work apparently in the old world, that were destroyed. But the Yidden came to this country, not only did they personally survive, they flourished, they were able to be Gewaldik Matzliach in business, they were able to build empires in business, Whatever, whatever it was that they decided to build, they were tremendously matzliach. Last Friday night, I, I was eating with a, with a survivor, and the survivor was telling me how when he came over to these shores, he was, they basically took Yidden, and they, they didn't want all the Jews to stay in New York, because they knew that Jews were very smart and entrepreneurial and ambitious. So they would basically send them to different parts of the country to establish the economies and to better the economies there. They didn't want Jews to stay in New York. So they sent some to Wisconsin and some to Texas and some to, some to Los Angeles, all over, the, all over the country. And sure enough, wherever they landed, they built, they built, they built empires, they built businesses, they, they, professions, and, and, and tremendous things in a very economical sense. They were, it's, um, it, was a, it was against all odds, but the Jews were able, to, not knowing the language, not having a dollar in their pocket, being able to come to a new world, and not just be able to survive, but to, within a matter of, of months, years, decades, be able to rebuild and be stronger than ever. It's, 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 a, it's an amazing story of human resilience. But that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the reach nichayach, the mizbeach that these Jews built when they came to these shores. They didn't just say, let's take our own needs and let's concentrate on those. They immediately started building yeshivas, building chadarim, building kailim, building mikvais, building beis yakovs, building infrastructures that we take for granted today. Building shechita systems, systems of, of, of chinuch, systems of, of, of chesed. All the things that we think are, were here from time immemorial, they weren't. Most of them were built by survivors, by people that came here with nothing. The chasidus in that we see, the thriving chasidus of Satmar and of Bells and of, 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 of Babov and of, of, of all of the chasidus. They were all survivors. They came over from Poland and from wherever they came over, and they were able to rebuild from scratch. I, I heard once that the Baba Barebo, who today, you know, you go to a Simchas Beis Hashem in Baba, and it has, you know, tens of thousands of Hasidim there. The Baba Barebo, when he first came to these shores, couldn't get a minion together in a shtibo. He made a shtibo. He didn't have a minion. That's how few survivors they were. And look what they were able to build over the course of 50, 60, 70 years. Thriving Hasidism with, with everything. New dynasties were built. A new world that were built on these shores. That's an unbelievable thing. That's the template of Nayak B'dayraisov. To be able to see a world B'chorbanai. Not to be Miyayish. But rather to understand that I have a new job, I have to roll up my sleeves and build an Eilam Chadash. That's why I'm here now. Not to be able to just be happy and to be content with survival, but to build for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the yeshivas, of course, in this world, of Aaron Cutler came, also a survivor. He came and he rebuilt Tyra in America. He built Lakewood. 
he was very involved with Chinuch building the day schools that many of us were zeichet to attend. That was all because of Aaron Cutler of Shagafayel Mendelovitz. These are things people came here and built. We are ants on the, on the shoulders of giants. We were, we're, we're surviving and we're enjoying the life that was built, the foundations that were built by people that were survivors, that were mamish people, that were broken, shattered people, but were able to get back and be able to not just survive, but to thrive and to succeed beyond anyone's wildest expectations. The current Rosh Hashiva in, in Tells in Cleveland is an unbelievable... He's, I think he's, he is the oldest Rosh Hashiva in America, possibly in the world. His name is Reb Chaim, Reb Chaim Stein, he is a tremendous Adam Gadol, a tremendous Rosh Hashiva. And he is also a person that was a survivor of Tells. He actually, somebody told me recently, I think he was actually in the city of Tells, Bishas Kurbana. And he was hiding under a bench, and somehow the Nazis didn't see him, and he was able to escape. So a few years ago, Chaim Stein went back to Tells in Lita to visit the yeshiva. And today, if you ever see pictures, they have pictures of it. There are, today it looks like a mamash makam churban. It's boarded up. You have to know a guy in the city of Tells with a key to open it up. Like many of the yeshivas and the shuls in, 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 in Europe today. It's a, it's a churban. It wasn't painted. It's, it's, it's in, in a state of decay and disrepair. Arab Chaim Stein went in and he saw the base medrash that he used to shy again and the shirums that he used to be shy of Tyra from Rosh Hashivas at Sumais. And he started crying. And he said, the Nazis in Machshimam, they thought that when they killed out the people of Tells, that that would be it. That was the end of Tells, that was the Khurban of Tells, and there would never ever be another Tells in the world. And they thought that they had effectively terminated everything, every shemetz of, of the yeshiva of Tells in the world, he says, but there's a Gemara in Avedizara. The Gemara in Avedizara says that when the Romans took Reb Hanina ben Trajan and they one of the Aserah Malchus they took him to his death they put, they took they, there was a Sefer Torah B'chekai he was holding on to a Sefer Torah and they the wicked Romans, they surrounded his body in the Sefer Torah in cotton, in wet cotton. And they set it aflame. And that would be the most painful death that they could think of. Maybe Rabbi Kiva's death was, was, was more painful, being having your flesh combed by iron combs. But maybe not. But Rabbi Hanina ben Shajan, that's the way they decided to mutilate him in his death to burn his body in a very slow and a very, very painful way. And the Talmidim saw this. And they asked Rebbe Hanina ben Traj, and they saw that he was thinking about something as his body was burning, and the Sefer Torah was burning. And they asked him, Rabbi, what are you seeing? What are you looking at right now? What are you thinking about? Rebbe Hanina ben Traj said, Gevilin Nisrafin. It's just the scrolls that are burning, just the parchment is burning. But I see the letters of the Sefer Torah flying in the air, meaning that the, just all they're able to do, the Romans, is burn the cloth, the physical Sefer Torah. But the words of the Torah, those, the letters of the Sefer Torah, those are flying in the air. 
Those, are, those they can't touch, they'll never be able to touch. And that's what I'm looking at right now. And Reb Chaim Stein said that that's exactly what happened during the war. The Nazis might have destroyed the people in Tells, the Rosh Hashivas, and they might have shut down the building and made it look like a churban. And they might have been able to burn the Gevilam, the actual physical entity of Tells. But the Yisrael is parches ba'avir. All of the letters of the Torah of Tells, the Torah of Tells, the Torah of the Rosh Yeshiva, the Messiah, the Derech Halimut of Tells, those ICIs flew over the Atlantic and landed in Cleveland, in a city in Cleveland, and that is where the Torah continues, the Messiah of, of Tells continues at Ayayim. The Nazis might have been able to burn the Gvilim, but only the physical manifestations of Tells were they able to burn. The actual Kedusha, the Taira, that's still around, that's still in the world. It just transferred over to the Eilam Chadash. That's the aside. We have to, I always feel that it's important to stress this, that we are, we have to have Akaras Hataib. We have to appreciate what it was, what the old world looked like, first of all, and also what the new world looks like today. The difference is definitely a difference. It's Shamayim Ba'aretz, the old world Europe and the America today. As much Tyre, as many yeshivas, as much Kedusha that we have today, it doesn't touch. It can't compare to the old world. That's for sure. But the, the miracle of the life that we're living today is that people that came from that old world were mamish like Nayach B'dayreisav in that they were also able to not have Yish, Lesser people would have crumbled. Lesser people would not have been able to rise to the occasion and to build greatness once again. They would be able to, I can't, it's forget, it's fafalin, it's over, it's finished. What was, was, this is a new world, let's start again. Many people were not able to be Amid bin Yisrael. Many people did leave as soon as they came to America. They left their tefillin, they say they threw it over and, you know, by Ellis Island. Proverbially or, 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 or really. But many people went off the derech, unfortunately. Or many people, as Ramesha used to, used to always cry about, Ramesha Feinstein used to say that many people that did come and they did survive, but they didn't do it with a geschmack. They didn't convey to their children the beauty that they saw in Europe. But they said, it's so difficult to be Jewish in America. It's so much easier to not be Shemer Shabbos. So much easier not to be Shemer Tarimitzis. They didn't give it over to their children as it should be with a proper fire. And that's why many of the children saw that and said, what do we need this for? That's why the next generation in America, we know the sad story how many, many people went off the derech. But many people stayed on the derech. And not only did they stay on the derech, but they built beautiful mishpachis. They built mishpachas that they were meiser nefesh to raise in a tiradika way. They rebuilt Beis Yaakovs. They rebuilt yeshivas. They rebuilt chasidus. They rebuilt mikvais. All of it being transferring, relaying from the old world whatever they were able to remember, whatever they were able to give over to this generation, they did. And that's that karas that we have to have. We're also, by the way, part of the Messiah of rebuilding this new world. We ourselves have that job to continue the mission of rebuilding life in America, Tyre in America, Yiddishkeit in America, being able to be mechanich our families, establishing yeshivas, establishing batek 
establishing Baltim Midrashim, having Talmidim. That's our goal in life, to continue the Messiah that our, our parents and our Abayim set for us. But this is something that is the miracle of the Jewish people. As Rabbi Yaakov Emden writes in his Hakdama to a sitter, he says, the biggest miracle that I have witnessed in my life the biggest miracle, he says, I think it's bigger than the Nisim of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, says Rabbi Yaakov Emden, is the miracle of the survival of the Jewish people. The fact that Yidin, regardless of how much we were beaten, murdered, massacred, pogromed, the fact that we're still able to be around, and not just to live and to tell the tale, but to build, to do it with a geshmak, to do it with a love, to give over to our Talmidim and to our children what we have seen in the past, and to convey that and to revitalize with every dar a new Olam Chadosh and a new Taira Chadosho in a positive sense, says that's something that is the biggest miracle that I've ever seen in my life. That is the miracle of survival. That's the miracle of Klal Yisrael. Klal Yisrael is a pele in the fact that they were able to build and to constantly, against all odds, create an Olam Chadosh in the template of Nayach. Have a good Shabbos.